Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. In some of my songs, I have casually mentioned the fact that I like to drink beer. This little song is more to the point. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears. I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. I like beer. It helps me unwind and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's Tuesday, December 20th, 2011. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43. Joined tonight with Jen Swartman from Blind Tiger. Hi, Jimmy. You, Jen? I'm great. You getting ready for the holidays? I'm trying to, yeah. I'm, I think I'm on top of things. I'm ready for some last-minute parties and hopefully some feasting. And you got a little gift for us? Uh, yeah, I, you guys are the first recipients of my annual gift, but don't tell, because there are a lot of people out there who might, well, you can, you can tell. hear that opening it up. So we got some great guests, and I <laughs> B.R. Royer from Shelton Brothers, and Chris and Greg from a really great Good Brazil bar in Brooklyn called the Double Windsor. So uh, give a shout out to our sponsor, GreatBrewers.com. GreatBrewers.com brings the American beer community together on GreatBrewers.com. It's all about the brewers. Check out the Good Brew Seal Test 100 and let us know your score. Right now we've heard uh, 72, 78. Greg and Chris, have you guys ever taken the Great Brewers Test? No, I haven't. Have you? No. It's really it's it's, a, it's the model for either. the Cicerone uh, service test. Uh, you should go online and take it. There's pretty much the answers to everything's on the Great Brewers. Dot com website. And a shout out to the Good Beer Seal, uh, Blind Tiger, Jimmy's Number 43, Double Windsor, and uh, 31 others are all members of the Good Beer Seal Association of Good Beer Bars in New York City. All right, we'll be off the air next week uh, for the holidays, but um, you know we'll still be uh, available with our archive and on iTunes. Um, Beer Sessions Radio. We had a lot of fun this year. Um, we lost our friend Ray, which wasn't fun, but you know we've uh, covered a lot of bases, including a a few weeks ago, we talked to a man from Scotland, Bruce Williams. Yeah, he's Williams fascinating. Brothers. We could have talked to him all hour, honestly. Yeah, and we've got a recorded show with him a little later uh, in this show. But we want to cut to the chase. We had a really great weekend. Uh, this weekend, there's a lot of holiday events. But at Jimmy's number 43, we had Battle of the Belgians. It was the, the best of the Belgians versus American-made Belgian style. And um, Who put that together? Uh, it's an event that Jimmy's number 43 has done for two years. And last year, actually, Maya, Maya Raposa, who now works at Brooklyn Brewery, she helped set it up last year. So it's a pretty fun event. Uh, but, but Shelton Brothers, um, <clears throat> with BR here representing them, has not participated the last two years. And I, want, <laughs> I wanted to know why. Because we have all the other the major importers. Put BR on the spot. Specialty beers, Allagash, small, small American breweries. Why, why no Shelton Brothers? It's not because we don't love you, Jimmy. <laughs> that has nothing to do with it. No, our philosophy is that so often, Belgians just get lumped together by virtue of the fact that they're Belgian. And just because it's Belgian doesn't mean it's good. And a lot of Belgian breweries are very mediocre. I mean, I'll, you know, we. There are a lot of breweries over there. There are a lot and of breweries. And they're going mean, like, to be the entire spectrum of brewing. Right. And, they're gonna and you know, a lot bases. of the Belgian beers now tend to be, you know, big and sweet. And, you know, they use the, the candy sugar and they, get, they just get so alcoholic and so sweet. And we prefer the beers generally that we import. I mean, we do have some of the 
the more alcoholic Belgian beers, but a lot of the ones we have are, are hoppier in general. They're not too sweet. They're very sessionable. They're easy to drink. They're lower in alcohol. And uh, we find, I mean, there's so many, there are a lot of good Belgian brewers, but we just don't want to, for example, link uh, or have a, an event, say, with uh, Akel, our Trappist brewery, with a Chimay who puts out, you know, it was like three times the size. And it's, you know, it's, it's really hard to say that these, these beers are, are coming from the same thing. It's the same place. I mean, they're the same place, obviously, but that's how we think. Hey, Chris and Greg, how do you feel about that? Do you, do you serve, serve a lot of Belgian beers at Double Windsor? Yeah, uh, yeah, we do. Um, I think that's interesting because that people a lot of times at our bar, if they see a beer is from Belgium, Belgium, uh, they're willing to pay more for it, even though they don't know the brewery. Just they see it's from Belgium, they think automatically. Uh, they think a good there's beer. one style, and right. they think, yeah, they yeah. make assumptions. Right. They'll co- or p- customers will come in and will ask um, if we have any Belgian beer, which is, you know, what, it's a huge Such a broad category. Question. Like, <laughs> what are you asking me? Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with what B said. Yeah, mm-hmm. it makes sense. Do you think it's because there's a different market there? People have different kind of parameters for what they they want to have? or um, I mean, in part, I think... I've heard that um, the change came sort of in the 50s and 60s when uh, you know, soda pop became more popular there. Maybe, actually, maybe even later than the 50s. Um, you know, so people's palates, like even in the U.S., and you know, I think it's a it's a global phenomenon of people's palates becoming more attuned to sweetness. Right. And um, and so the, the breweries started making beers that were sweeter. They found that these things were what were selling. Well, they even found with uh, lambics when there wasn't a market for sour beer that if they made them sweet if they added sugar to them you know or syrup or something that people might actually drink them right you know because they there was no market for that incredibly you know like acidic tart type of flavor Mm -hmm. so that's one case i mean Um, and also i mean although there is a fantastic beer culture in belgium a lot of people you know they would just they'll drink their local regional beer mm-hmm. that's from their town. They, you know, they, you have the, the big breweries. You got you know your Stella and your Maispils mm-hmm. and your Upeler, um, which are the predominant beers in in most of the bars. I mean, you'll go to a lot of bars there that don't have a good beer, whether right. it's Belgian or not. Right, <laughs> that's true here too, though. Yeah, so people... I mean, I think it's also the you know the country just again because people are Belgian doesn't mean that they have great right. taste in beer either. You know, like the U.S., <laughs> people are drinking really bad beer, and then there's people drinking really good beer. And what do you guys think about um, some of the American-style Belgians? I mean, we know with this Oma Gang, which which uh, is owned by Belgians, right? Mm-hmm. Um, anything that you oh, like gosh. that's a Belgian style that's made in American, guys? Um, well, Allagash, I mean, comes to mind right away. Um, I actually, I recently, I got to have one of their Cool Ship uh, beers. Oh, yeah. Which is fantastic. We had one on here. Yeah, delicious. Yeah, really great. Probably one of the better... Um, American there are, lambics, you there know. are a few uh, American craft breweries who are dedicating themselves predominantly to Belgian style beers and Rob Todd's one of those guys from Allagash and when we had him on the show he was really interesting in ta- like he pays his respect to Belgium and their influence by really trying not to use the same terminology mm-hmm. To not call his beers lambics, to not um, use you know the certain the you know the same words, and trying to make it more like separating the fact that he is from the United States, right. but that but paying respect and understanding where it comes from, and trying to get that understanding out to the to the consumer, so people don't just automatically go, oh, then these are going to be the exact same thing that we're getting from Belgium, and the Americans, you know, we 
they try to set themselves apart. So, like, the, the American beers are really still American beers. Yes. You know, maybe influenced by what, yeast or... Well, you, definitely by yeast, you know, is that because the, is Belgian that the beers most are common, driven by yeast. That's the most common uh, way to, like, rep, replicate a Belgian beer is with the yeast? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I would definitely. Think so. I yeah. would say so. I mean... The that, Belgian yeasts are known for being very estery. You can get the, the phenols, or you're getting fruitiness, you're getting spiciness. It's my if, understanding that a lot of those recipes are actually quite simple. And those beers would not have all those amazing, like, specific attributes that you associate with certain breweries and things if it wasn't for their proprietary yeast strains. Right. And yeah, and they ferment at the higher temperatures, too, which exactly. creates those, those Which flavors. brings it yeah. out. So their, their whole method is about, like, sort of creating recipes that can support and give the backbone for what their yeast can do. Because that's where they get the, all their amazing, like, complexities. Jen, any uh, other American breweries that are, are working with Belgium? Sure. I mean, we've cool got Omegong Brewery up here in Cooperstown, New York. We've got um, what Tommy Arthur's doing down in uh, at, at Lost, what is it, Lost Abbey down in San Diego. And then, of course, Vinny Salerzo and Russian River. And he's doing American styles, but he's also doing amazing sours predominantly, but really nice Belgian stuff and has his hand in both. And those are some of the most well-respected, but there, there are others, too, and they're happening, you know, it's happening everywhere. And a lot of breweries that have dedicated themselves to ale and, and lager production, other, you know, other ales, more British style, are also dabbling, you know. It's, it's actually, I would say, sort of uncommon to find a, a, an American craft brewery of note that's not playing around with Belgian styles because they're right. so interesting. The influences. Now, what is it so about American beers that are, that are kicking Belgians' butts? What do you at double winter? What, what I want to hear what you guys have to say about this. God, go ahead. Well, I mean, <laughs> are we? I, well, I would say. Well, I, when it comes to IPAs, I think that's yeah. where America really excels. At least for, for me. I mean, I love Imperial IPAs. Um, and we were just talking about this. Um, one of my favorite beers is Firestone Walker's their Double Jack. Yeah. Um, which is just a beautiful beer if you love hops. And I think uh, where Americans really excel is with incredibly hot beers. And mm. when it comes to the Belgian thing and the United States, it, one great thing you have to remember is that if you have a brewery in your region who's making beers of similar style, they're not having to travel as far. So they're going to be fresher, you know. I mean, we and my gosh, Shelton Brothers, these importers are they do their I, they're they're amazing in how fast they can get beer to us, how fresh they can keep it. But there is something really um, nice sometimes about having a beer that is you know brewed a little closer to home mm-hmm. and a little brighter, and you can kind of you almost can gain respect for those Belgian beers through some of what the Americans are doing now, especially since they're doing it well. And you guys, you serve, uh, you represent some American beers as well, don't yeah, you? Yeah, we do. I mean, Jolly Pumpkin is one mm. that's doing... That's another uh, one, definitely. ...doing all open fermentation. Uh, they have a, a wild yeast strain that they use, and then they age everything in oak barrels. So, you know, they're not trying to replicate exactly Mm-mm. the Belgian styles, but, you know, they, they, the yeast that they use and the way that they brew their beer definitely influenced. Ron Jeffries is, is highly influenced yes. by the Belgians. I so. love Jolly Pumpkin. Is, is open fermentation the same thing as a cool ship? Yes, essentially. And that, what I was going to say before is that in in Belgium, the wild fermentation, it has a lot to do with, like, the the region, too, the things that occur in that area to the beer while it's fermenting. Exactly. So. It's all the local the local yeast that, you know, especially in terms right. of the, the lambic production. I mean, so that's even true. if you want to create 
the same beers, you know, it's stateside. It's different. You can't, exactly. Yeah. The environment's yeah. going to be different. So. And these are being, you know, in terms of some of the, the <clears throat> traditional Lambic breweries like Cantillon, I mean, these buildings are, you know, they've been Ancient. brewing in them for, yeah. for years and years. Yeah. So there's all, you know, their own little micro climate right there with a with the yeast that's built up that you just can't you, mean, you they can't keep it clean it but they can't clean no, it yeah. too much that's my understanding is they they're they don't want to clean certain things because that's yeah they don't just their... there's a lot of cobwebs yeah <laughs> that's great well hey this is a really nice beer we're drinking too what is this is. Uh, i'm gonna let b pronounce it because i can't <laughs> it's a norwegian it's, it's from norway it's from norway it's from the hand brewery but in norwegian and i know i'm gonna mangle it it's the han that wow. sounded pretty good to me. Yeah, that was great. Thanks, BR. <laughs> I would say hand brewer it. Yeah. Well, it's a hand. It means hand, so yeah. you can say that. How about, can I have a little refill? Yeah, same here. So and what kind of beer is this? This is their winter beer. It's a Nisafar, and Nisafar means Father Christmas. But there's actually a, a legend of a sort of a, a Christmas-type gnome who, um, if, if farmers don't leave out beer for him, he'll, like, ruin the, uh, the harvest. <laughs> a bad gnome. <laughs> or a, an easily agitated, sober gnome. So in Scandinavia too, it's like it's like the new style of beer too. It's like influenced by tradition, but influenced by America. Yeah, I, I mean the, the brewers that we import. Um, there's two different types. Uh, the, the Han Brewery, for example, um, these guys are trying to recreate a lot of traditional Norwegian beers that are no longer brewed. Um, you know, they do they t- put a little modern interpretation on them. But then we have other brewers like uh, Mikkel from Mikeller and uh, and Shettlet at Nygnu, who were just grew up on on light lagers and when they traveled realized oh my god there's this world of beer out there um and we're very influenced by both american mickle in particular from american styles mm-hmm. and shettle from uh, american and british styles so re- brewing those for more for the local population to be like this you know you've never had an ipa you've got to try it and the you know shettle for example is the first norwegian brewer to brew an ipa and a porter in norway so wow all right. How do we say? I know we say skull in Denmark. What do we say in Norway? I think it's skull too. Skull. Oh. Skull. Right. Cheers. Well, Jen, thanks for these presents. Um, you're real generous, and I can tell you get into the Christmas spirit. Yeah, they're a classic. You can say what it is. <laughs> Tootsie toy, Mister Bubbles. 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 It's a bubble year. My Everyone gets love it. bubbles. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Any anything else you're getting for what? What beer would you get for your for your close friends? Would I? Oh, would I? Uh, for Christmas. Do you give beer for Christmas? Do I give beer? Yeah. There's beer everywhere. I give a few beers, I guess, but then I, what I do is I dig through my stash because it's everywhere and I find something that that person would like. But I don't usually deal in beer because it seems to be an like a year-round thing for me. I get I get down to toys. Spend some time in Toys R Us instead. What about you? if I go to Double Windsor? Do you guys sell bottles to go and growlers to go? Bottles, yes. Growlers, soon. Soon. We're going we're gonna to dig more into you guys and talk more about you in a few minutes. Um, we'll take a short break. Come back on Beer Sessions Radio. Someone found a lighted house late one night. And he saw through the wind no sight. The man up with all the toys. How thrilled that someone 
must have been And he must have been tempted to go in He stayed out in the pool And when he left them he told About the man with all the toys Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's Tuesday. It's right before Christmas. We're looking forward to a really great winter. Green Flash is coming to New York. Yes, they are today. They're flying in right now. I think they're going to be here at about 4 p.m. Did you see the list great. of beers they're bringing? They're going to do a dinner yeah. at, at uh, Jamie's Number 43 on Christmas. But before that, they've got a couple events coming up. They've got the Blind Tiger event, which we always look forward to on Wednesday at 4 p.m. And they'll be in the house. Um, and then... They're all. They're going to the Pony on Thursday, so there'll be an, two events back to back, and then um, everybody's going to celebrate Christmas at Jimmy's. They've got some awesome beers. I mean, I love their beers. Oh yeah, but they, there's some beers that I've never heard of that they're bringing out. It's pretty this amazing because in this market, um, the majority of what we get from them are IPAs. You know, particularly the West Coast IPA. Yeah, we had the Hophead Red on on tap, and it's a real hoppy red that they've won awards for too. But what I love is when we do those events, and I have a chance to taste people on things like their stouts. Because people don't think of them as an amazing brewery when it comes to stouts, but I've never had a bad beer from them. They do some Belgian stuff too. I know that they have one coming that's called Sugar Smack, and we had it at um, in the summer when we did the the Green Flash Jen Schwartman Bar Tour, <laughs> and uh, I was trying, to, I was desperately trying to look up a description of it, and there was no description because it's just a little one-off they did. But it has you know Belgian sugar in it and is a Belgian double. Influence, so see, he's playing around too, even though he's a big IPA guy. One, one of my favorite beers that they make is the La Freak. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, and we're gonna have Super Freak, which is um, funkier. It's got some Brett in it, as I recall. So that's a good. But one. Chris and Greg, tell, what is La Freak? Because I mean, I've had it, I like it, I just don't know what it is. It's. I think I they call it a cross between a Imperial IPA and and a triple. A, a triple. Yeah. Yeah, it was sort of a one of those dumb luck kind of things on Chuck's part where he had a. Uh, a Belgian triple that was not going right, and he just decided to blend it with IPA, and it was only for the you know the staff, the people around the brewery. And then when they loved it so much, he thought, hmm, maybe I actually should pay attention to that, and he made Le Freak. So he designed a recipe that was based on that happy accident. All right, cool. So uh, we've got Greg and Chris from uh, Double Windsor here, a great beer out in Brooklyn. Uh, tell us a little more about how you guys got started, where, where the bar is located, and uh, some other things like that. Um, well, I uh, I have another bar that is not a beer bar. Um, it's more of a music venue. And I had always wanted to open a beer bar. And uh, i got to say, Ray Dieter was a big influence. The DBA in, in Manhattan. I'd been going there since around when they opened, I think. And... Uh, I, you know, I was looking to open another place. I didn't know what I wanted to open. I just I was looking for something. And what neighborhood are you guys in? Windsor Terrace. Windsor Terrace. It's a, it's a south of Park Slope. Okay. And uh, where is your music venue? What's it called? That's, and where is that? That's Cake Shop, and that's in Manhattan. Okay. So yeah, I actually tried to do a craft beer thing there, and did not go so well. Just it's, it confused it's a, everything. Yeah, it's a, it's a very young crowd, and and they're there to see shows. 
they don't want to have to. When did you try hear that? About, curiously, that was um, like how many years ago? Two thousand six. See, and I think maybe if you try it again now, it That's would be a I'm whole thinking. different thing. Yeah. Uh, but but I back agree. then you were you think, were ahead of your time. I think the thing to do now though there would be stick to local. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not be too crazy. And blend maybe, it so that yeah. you have just a couple. Yeah. We'll of, keep Yingling and we'll you know exactly do those things. Yeah. yeah. I, I really think that it's interesting to look at that history and when people made the attempt because they had the foresight that this was coming and they wanted mm-hmm. to be on the front of it, but their market wasn't ready yet. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. But go ahead. I'm sorry. So, so tell us, how about this? Pick a couple of beers that are on your list right now and the ones that you really like. So it changes. Sense. So frequently. Yeah. Well, what we're drinking now is on tap there. The, uh, the I'm just going to call it the hand. Um, <laughs> Safer. <laughs> that works. <laughs> Which is great. We have, um, since it is the holidays, I try to have four or five holiday ales on. Um, so we have... How uh, many taps do you have? 14 taps, um, constantly rotating. Um, so we have, I mean, McKellar, the Santa's Little Helper, we have that on right now, which is awesome. All of his holiday beers are great. We yeah. just had the Evil Twin... Soft Christmas, Soft Christmas, which Holy went cow. really fast. Yeah. But it's Have you had that? Nice. No, I haven't had that one, but I'm a fan of Evil Twin. So good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really great. Um, I would love to get Yeppa and Mikel together for an event at some point, which, yeah. Yeppa's so, great. He's are, they bro- are they brothers? They're yeah. Twins. Yeah, they're twins. yeah, they're identical twins. <laughs> yeah. And so. they're both crazy. Actually, I believe I sent Yeppa to the bar. Bar to the, and told him to tell you that he was Mikkel. And so, right, and which then would have been great. Um, but yeah, his beers are great. His holiday beers are really nice. Um, so also, I mean, we have a great barrier beer on their Belgian pale ale, which um, they're a be- I like their um, Belgian IPA actually. The Mar Underarm. I don't know if you ever had that. No. Uh, no. Really nice. Jimmy gets really a lot nice. of the barrier stuff at Jimmy's Forty Three, don't you? Yeah, they they come to us every week, so yeah. probably yeah. probably the same as you. Great. And uh, yeah, so I'm sure your tap selection though, like rotates constantly you constantly. probably blow kegs th- multiple kegs a yeah. shift because yeah. that's how it is at the tiger yeah. too mm-hmm. you can't be held it's hard and to yeah. keep up with those lists it online hard, and yeah. everything i mean it's, it, we print these out and then a second later another one blows and you're like great yeah. let's print up 10 more do you have a printed menu there we did yeah we oh just, see that's yeah. that oh so this is what yeah, yeah i can't we don't even try <laughs> yeah it's just well you have a lot i mean you have more, a lot more taps but even so yeah. it's it is it's a ton of work just even i mean writing it's the descriptions and yeah yeah and I mean, we update our beer menus right away. We update because there's so many. Like once a beer kicks, you have to update the chalkboard, the taps, uh, the beer menu, beermenus.com. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's um, and our staff is great, and they do it. You know, and tweet, and, and, and we tweet it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I wish I would all helps. tie together like some one <laughs> interface. We're getting there. Work. We're getting way closer. Yeah. That's going to happen. That's called the assistant manager. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> we just yeah we created the name for the software. Now it just needs to exist. Yeah. So, um, how how big is your place? Square foot. I mean, I I just have never been there because I just don't make it to the south it's, side of Park Slope from the Upper West Side very pretty often. Pretty similar to the Blind Tiger in size. Okay, mm-hmm. so cozy seating, yes. sixty five or so, seventy. I think. I mean, we seventy two max. But okay, that's just yeah, little, that's, that's bigger than the Tiger. Color, is it? Yeah. Oh, oh really? Yeah, I think yeah. it is actually. Yeah, yeah. I have to make it out there because yeah. I've heard great food things. Too? We have great food. Yeah. Um, for real? Ooh. Yeah, yeah, really. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's. I guess we describe it as kind of upscale pub food, yeah. but you know, we have a, a burger. We use uh, Creekstone Farm beef. Uh, all of our uh, meat comes from Pat Lafrida. Uh, great heritage pork, uh, pulled pork sandwich. Um, just really good, comforting, 
delicious, high-calorie, fatty, awesome food. Beer. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you guys have an awesome place with a great beer list, and you don't even want to talk about it. Yeah, we don't even want to. <laughs> you don't need to so talk about it. So my question is, how many years have you been open? Just two, two and a half. Two a little over really? two. Yeah. yeah. So Double Winter, you guys have a website? We do now, finally. In year two, we got a, we got a website. Uh, it's uh, dwbrooklyn.com. All right. Because I'm building to a question. Okay. So recently, talking about Belgian beers, American beers, I felt like the last couple of years I was doing like either just American craft and all the really new cool imports like McKellar and all these things from all over the world. But customers have been coming in saying, gosh, you know, I just want like a Belgian beer. <laughs> and then they get specific. They want a high-gravity Belgian beer. And to me, that means they want like something with candied sugar. Yeah. Um, do you guys have any stories like that? Anybody coming in and asking for things that you don't have? Or, hmm. Well, <laughs> we used to. I think we used to focus more on American beers. I think yeah, when we I opened, did. and we've. I mean, um, I love Belgian beers, so we've been bringing them more and more on. And we do get people who come in and ask. You know, I don't. We don't put a lot of sour beers on tap. I love sour beers. Um, as B knows, I'm after her for Cantillon kegs all the time. Um, but you uh, and all the other bars. I know. I know. And, but I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to keep. Um, so I mean, I love those beers, but we're in a neighborhood that I think is pretty new to craft beer. I think we've been kind of educating yeah. people yeah. a lot. So um, I know a sour beer is a hard sell sometimes, especially at the price point um, that we have one, to sell it out. Yeah. One thing I've noticed though is that because I, I used to shy away from that in the first yeah. year. And we could put on something that was twelve percent. Yeah, well, uh, it's and, yeah, and it would sell. It's strange though. It's really all about people's at perception. ten dollars a eight ounce pour. Yeah. If would, it's from Belgium, though, if yeah, I put it on, go. yeah, yeah, it it does move. It just, but yeah. you're you're right. It's like where what is the market ready to bear? Right. Like what are they seeking and what are they responding right. to and trying to keep a a monitor on that and it's changing all the time. Like we're saying back in two thousand six. When you try to, you know, mm-hmm. update your other bar's mm-hmm. beer list, it was like, whoa, and mm-hmm. nothing sold, probably sat mm-hmm. there and got mm-hmm. kind of old and yeah. frustrated the hell out of you, and yeah. you went back. But now it's different, so to understand what, you know, like, yeah. to watch that shift. And we we had to raise a lot of our prices in the last year at, uh, at the Blind Tiger, and it was like a process to, like, get... Now we realize, yeah, people are ready. People yeah. will spend money when they see... Mc- McKellar hey, yeah. Is there anything that you guys at Blind Tiger, anything that people are asking for that you don't have? That we don't have? You know yeah, what? Like yeah, I'll tell you this. I'll tell like you styles. this. I, um, last year, it was a different story because the way that the beer list was being managed, um, they weren't committed to keeping the wide range of styles. And then when Dave came in and kind of like had his influence at the beginning of the year and kind of reinstated Dave Broderick, him, Dave Broderick yeah. our friend Dave, um, he really one of his big goals was he wanted to designate style lines, tap yeah, lines, yeah, yeah. and it has smart. been brilliant because it means that you know we we do the best. I mean, obviously we have to pull beers off to have an event. Mm-hmm. We try to match a lot of those styles as closely as we can. Sometimes you can't do it. You may be down, you know, a stout here or whatever. Mm-hmm. But we go back to it as fast as possible. And what it means is that when somebody comes in and they want, I mean, we have one one or two lines that are designated local beers. So no matter what, we're going to have something local mm-hmm. for the people who are in from out of town who want to try something from close and that would happen where we wouldn't have anything from new york everything would be from you know victory and everyone's like i came here to try some captain lawrence and some six points and we didn't have it and then and now you know you've got people whose palates are everywhere in the spectrum 
and people who want high gravity Belgian sweeter, you know, stuff and people who are ready for who want stout, they're getting into stouts and we've got that range. So it has not been as much of a problem in 2011 as it had been in the past working there and being really frustrated sometimes because we wouldn't have some of the basic things that people were begging for. Mm-hmm. Wow. But even with 25 taps it's well, if like you if you, you let more, there be but, seven yeah. stouts at a time, yeah. then yeah. It, all of a sudden you've got this huge percentage <laughs> of your tap list that is dominated by a style. Yeah. Or you'd have a brewery like maybe Stone come in, and you know they're known for even their Belgian stuff often is a little hoppy. Yeah. So it was fantastic for a hop head, but then you'd have people who were not ready for hops yet who would come in right after a Stone event where they would take over every tap line, and we had basically nothing for them and that's that with 28 tap lines and three casks there's no excuse i do i love doing events too but it does it plays havoc with your list because i mean we you know storage space is always an issue so when you're pulling lines off and putting on and you know like kegs are sitting in the cooler waiting to go back up those i mean i try to keep a variety of styles on that's you know my goal but yeah when you have an event it does tend to play havoc with it because I think la- we did an Oscar Blues thing last week, and they brought a bunch of cool stouts in. Uh, they did some cool things with second runnings of uh, Ten Fifty. They made uh, yeah. a nitro smitty, and it's fantastic, just great. To, you know, but I had like I did have like six stouts on. But yeah, when yeah. the <laughs> event's over, the event's over. So all the people yeah. who are interested in like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go try all those beers. They show up, yeah. they drink it, but then the next day, when a regular patron walks in, yeah. I've got a whole bunch of funky stout for you. <laughs> but I did have a couple of people say, oh, this is great. There's so many stouts yeah. on, you know, because we usually don't. We usually will have two I or think, three. Right. People know the kind of place they're in, too, and they're they're pretty relaxed on what they're going to drink. They're like, so, yeah, I'll just try that, you know. Where'd you come up with the name, Double Windsor? Uh, so well, they're in Windsor Terrace. It's Windsor Terrace, yeah. I mean, but I have uh, three other business partners, and we were all trying to kind of come up with a name. It, it was about a year's worth of... <laughs> Really horrible names thrown around, um, and I think I just threw that out as a joke, and they all latched on, and that was it. That's how we I think it's it. a good name. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It right. sticks. Yeah. Yeah. Jet, uh, BR, if there's any beer that you could put on tap right now, a double Windsor. You mean besides the ones that are already on? Besides the one they're asking for. Let's do BR takes over the taps at double Windsor. What would you put on tonight? Oh wow. That's a really tough one. I mean, I, you know, my beer. That is just not fair, Jimmy. What are you trying to do to be honest? Hey, she's a salesperson. She has a whole list of beers. I know, but it's like they're all my children. You know, I can't, I can't she pick, can't pick favorites. favorites. You have she, to. She has to go in with a broad portfolio to these guys and let them pick. I all think, right. you know what I would probably do, because just because I'm like, I've had holiday overload with way too many Christmas parties, <laughs> way too many holiday beers. We had the big and Christmas event at Blind Tiger the other week. Oh, and yeah. I think it would be something like De La Santeras Bulba. You know, yeah. nice palate cleansing, Saison's. not too, not yeah. too, not too, oh, I think it's like, you know, four and a half percent, but nice and hoppy, mm-hmm. just something to recharge where I could just sit there, have a few of those. Palate and, cleanse <laughs> and not get ready you know, for winter. Anything else? Some Mars or something? Oh, of course. Oh, Mars. Why don't you just say, Jimmy, yeah. what you would do? I'll pick my favorite. Mars of Gespundin. I think Jimmy, oh, sure. Jimmy wants to curate the... Yeah. the yeah. He's, he's taking over. <laughs> it's a leading question. Great. Great. Yes. A Jolly Pumpkin, of course. And you guys brought a Jolly Pumpkin Growler. What is that? No, we didn't. Oh. That's the, uh, yeah. Duranky. I was Duranky wishful Noel. thinking. Yeah. We do have Duranky's that. Duranky's good, though, too. Yeah. Which one? The Noel. 
Can we have some? Sure. Pair Noel. Pouring it? So, beer, tell us about this beer. Uh, so, this is the, from the Durand Brewery in Belgium. Um, these guys, they love their hops. You know, the, the XX Bitter is a really nice hoppy uh, beer. Um, they also have the Goldenberg. And this is just their Christmas beer. So, it's a little bit stronger, a little bit bigger, um, and some good hop notes in there. Now, was Yvonne De Beats, was he... He had done. Of, he he was one. Of, he was affiliated with this brewery too. He has, he's Terrace Bulba now. Right. He has, that you just he's mentioned. Also, he's he's brewed there. He brewed some of his beers. Okay. So. Okay. Um, I wasn't yeah, sure. I knew there was some sort of connection with Derinky. Yeah. But these guys. I don't think I've ever had a uh, beer from this brewery that didn't have a serious hop presence. No, and it's funny when they first started before they had their own brewery. They were brewing at the Decca Brewery. Uh, and they would go in nights and weekends, and apparently the brewery got really mad at them because every Monday they'd come and find that their system was clogged because Durant was they using like the so whole hops. Of, yeah. Well, and Deca was oh. using either either the pellets or extract, and they they would always find their system completely clogged up with a with the leaves of hop flowers. So it, yeah, it's delicious. What's well, amazing? I mean, at the end of the day, Shelton Brothers has such a, a diverse portfolio, and hopefully, we'll get you to do a Belgian. Beer event one day soon. And Double Winter, up and coming. You guys are Good Beer Seal Bar. Really proud to have you on, goodbeerseal.com. Happy to be there. Yeah, you guys are really great, and I'm really proud of you guys. I love that beer list. Thank you. So uh, we'll be out there soon. Uh, we're going to just uh, take a little short break. Um, we'll be back soon with um, an interview that Jen and I did a few weeks ago with uh, Bruce Williams from Williams Brothers Brewing in Scotland. I learned so much in this interview. It's really great. Yeah. So we'll take a short break here on Beer Sessions Radio. Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Jim, this is a really great show. We're getting ready for Christmas and Hanukkah. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. All right. Merry Christmas, everyone out there. You know what's cool? Um, I am loving this holiday season. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's, uh, it's getting cool right now. You know? It also no, feels... No, totally. It's weird. It's like this year feels more... Christmassy. It feels more active. I think I think it's a good sign. Last year I felt like the economy was really dragging people down and this year it seems like people are perking up and and out and running around having fun again. Yeah. So it's exciting. I thought it was just me because I have a three year old, so 
No, I, I work first, in like, three bars, and I really have witnessed yeah. across, and I yeah. it's a different year, and it yeah. feels like the holidays again, which is it's, it's nice. nice to be able to say. Yeah. All right. Totally. Well, we got a special thing. Uh, let's kick back a little bit. Uh, here's an interview that Jen and I did with Bruce Williams from Williams Brothers Brewing in Scotland. And we'll All right. Welcome that. back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 here with Jen Swartman from Blind Tiger. Hello, Jimmy. You, you know, um, there's Harry Potter and there's Quidditch, but there's nothing like... William Brothers Brewing Company from Scotland. <laughs> it's, it's a new thing for us. He's here in New York. Bruce Williams from where is it? Alloa. Alloa, Scotland. Yeah. And Alloa we're drinking the uh, the Fruich. Fruich. The Heather yeah. Ale. Which is your flagship, right? It's the beer that I started making probably uh, in about 1987. I made it in a small brewery in Oban. And um, it was part of a project that I was doing at university to revive... Uh, sort of indigenous beers from Scotland right? because in Scotland we've been making beers for 4,000 years at least and uh, only in the last 250 have we been using hops so all the beer styles that we've done and you're familiar with some of them the Fruic is made with heather flowers which is a an astringency a dryness rather than a, a bitterness and, and right. when you're drinking that try it and open your palate afterwards and you'll find that your mouth just dries out mm-hmm. wow. yeah it doesn't taste like flowers Taste, so but it Bru- tastes botanical. Bruce from uh, Bruce Williams, yeah. Williams Brewing Company in Aloha, Scotland. Right. And we're, we're really privileged to have you. Uh, our good friend Alex Hall recommended you. Um, you know, he's a big uh, cask proponent. So tell us about your role in the brewing industry in Scotland and the UK. How did you get started? In Scotland, I started making just cask conditioned beer. And so we were supplying probably five different bars. And it was a small brewery, five-barrel brewery in Oban. And we could only make it during the heather flowering season because we, the resources so were So you were using. making one beer at the time? One beer, just through right. heather Just ale. the one that yeah. we're drinking, and we're drinking it's delicious, there. yes. And it's easy access beer, it's, uh, and, it's, and it's using local indigenous ingredients, you know, and it's a historical recipe. They found a, a, the archaeologist dug up an old Neolithic site in the island of Rum, and uh, it dates back to 2000 BC, and they find a fermented botanical beverage made with heather, and malt so it was heather ale and if you go into scottish history you can read poems and legends about heather ale robert louis stevenson wrote about heather ale i mean it's a very historical part of scottish brewing so so scottish brewing obviously these historic recipes you bring back are going to use botanicals from scotland yeah and so what are some other examples well in heather ale we use a thing called um myrtle which is uh Kind of a bay leaf, but it's a bittering herb, mm-hmm. and it's also an antiseptic. So you instead s- of hops, you get your bitter, your bitter balance a little bit from that. Well, I think that the, the astringency of the heather balances the malt in this case. Um, we've used I've done a bog myrtle beer. We use bog myrtle in many of our other beers. We do f- five principal botanicals. One, one is the fruit, which is the heather ale. Um, did a groset, which is a gooseberry um, wheat ale that has bog myrtle in it as well, and meadow sweet. Um, we also made a, a kelpie beer, which I've got here for you to try in a little while. It's made with seaweed, and we also use myrtle in that. 
Um, and then <laughs> there's another one here I brought along today. And it's a bit of a phenomenon in Scotland. In the last couple of years, we've been selling quite a lot of this. It's a, just a basic ginger beer. What's a, what do you call it? Just ginger beer? Scottish Is there ginger. A, Scottish ginger. And uh, it's 4% alcohol. It's like an alcoholic ginger beer. And it's a, um, a great product. It's selling really well, of course. You know the, the Fruic? I'm tasting it now with the Heather. Yeah. I taste a hint of ginger as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. I've also had the Alba. I'm a big fan of the Alba, and that's using uh, pine, right? Pine and spruce. Is that right? Yep. And, and so in the spring, I mean, the precedent for Alba goes back to Viking times. The Vikings used to make a beer with spruce and pine. And so in the northeast of Scotland, there's a huge Viking influence on the styles up there. So they've made a, made a beer with uh, pine shit. So in the spring, you take the, the new growth of the pine, you just break it off. Um, and you put that in the kettle and boil it for all you home brewers out there. You know that's then you you would boil that for ninety minutes as you normally would, and then soak it with spruce. The spruce is um, very volatile, so you've got to make sure that you don't boil spruce because it just the Does it aromas. No, the aromas just <laughs> flash off. Oh, I see. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have what do you mean value. by volatile? <laughs> yeah. The aromas are volatile. Got it. Right. And there are no hops in that beer, am no. I right? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so back when they didn't could have you hops, grow, could, could you grow hops pine. in Scotland? No, we've tried. <laughs> Believe me, I've tried. When we were down in Straven, I built a little brewery in Straven, south of Glasgow, um, and it was a 20-barrel brewery after we moved from Oban. And uh, we tried to grow hops, and it's just too wet, and the soil was all wrong. So uh, we decided to have to pay the money to our Europeans and So I was going to say, so you were sort of at the mercy of other European countries who could supply you with hops. Yeah. So that's why the innovation. Use yeah, what you have. But, I know, but it's not just an innovation. It's also a precedent about using local ingredients that, you know... I love that, that yes. You know, and and I, I wanted to keep that alive because it was just going to go away. Because we've homogenized beer everywhere in the world, you know, and I want to try and break away from that. So all of our beers tend to be a little bit different. Now we have a bigger brewery. Certainly we have to provide a, a plainer beer for the marketplace, but we are always experimenting. When we do some real masturbate, beers, you know. And one thing I noticed is that most of your beers really are um, in the five percent alcohol range. Yeah. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, they're really kind of what we re- we call session beers, and yet really amazing, um, you know, like interesting complex flavors. Considering that they're very low alcohol, and there's definitely a market for that too. Session beers are the biggest thing in the UK. Principally, we sell cask beer, and hence. One of my issues right now in, in the U.S. is the fact that people are not drinking cask beer properly. There's very few places that are doing it right. Are, are you exporting your cask to yeah. the States? But only to people that know what they're doing with it now. Like, I have wh- shot where, myself in Where the in the States uh, can I get a cask of Williams Brothers? Tonight in um, Rattling Hum on 33rd Street. Oh, okay. no, I can't say that. <laughs> no, they but, know uh, what they're doing. Yeah, definitely. Well, you did something there recently, yes. And um, we've done a tasting at, at DBA in Brooklyn. And doing uh, tastings in all the way, basically from Virginia right up to New England. Uh, so we were doing them in Boston, and we've done them all the way through the city. The thing is that we only really sell our products during the winter months. So between October and March, we sell our cascales. Now, why is that? Because you can't guarantee the temperature of the product on the I way see. across so the Atlantic. So that's you yeah. quality controlling the product, yeah. and so you limit the times of year when it can travel, and you monitor the accounts yeah. to make sure that it's going to the right place. Also, that's a hard. That's a really difficult endeavor when you're talking about an ocean. 
between you and yeah but then you can guarantee after October that it's going to be okay in the middle of the Atlantic it's going to Boston so it's in the northern part of the states as well so it's okay one of my concerns though is selling cask ale to people that don't know what they're doing with it oh yeah so what my issue just now is to try and get some sort of certification program in in place in the USA that actually only allows people to sell cask ale that know what they're doing with it because it's being abused in certain places you know yeah. I know the blind tag is a great it's place it's a double edged yeah. sword honestly because um, for a long time there were there were people like Ray Dieter with DBA who had the engines and he was you know like so enthusiastic about cask beer but because there weren't enough places serving it there weren't enough of them on draft people were not adventurous enough to try it they didn't know what it was and it would sit there and get old so you need enough momentum you need enough of it out there so that people know what it is but I understand because if you don't move through it fast enough it's the most fragile keg out there and it just doesn't last and it suffers it's a live organism when it arrives in a bar it's not finished you know, and people have to recognise that, and that's why I'm concerned. Because I think, like ten years ago, we started shipping over cask beer to the Brick Skeller in DC, and we were doing Scottish beer festivals there, and it was fine. And we got a lot of demand for our cask beer, and we sold it out, and it was presented badly, mm-hmm. and our brand was damaged by that. Oh no, I understand. And that's my issue. I don't want to sell it to people that don't know what they're doing with it anymore. I, I actually, and that's one of the things we're excited about. Cask beer as a city now, which is exciting yeah. for cask beer worldwide. Like that, there's a market like New York that's excited, and yet, what's even more exciting is the fact that some of our local breweries are preparing firkins, yep. so we can actually get beer from one of our local, like where it doesn't have to travel that far and it's super fresh. But it's a problem with these casks yeah, that come over but from the w- UK. there's one issue with the the local brewers making cask ale is that often they just take, you know, their latest batch of beer. It doesn't matter the style. I know, and a that's, a, that's a problem I have too. Even a, I've had barley wines. I've had some weird, weird styles put in casks yeah, that I'm not a fan of. I do appreciate the true kind of UK style. What is the UK style of cask? Right, wait. Well, it's very much about brewing a beer for cask. We, most of it, I sell a thousand firkins a month. I mean, and that's our principal draft line, right? So we make a beer for cask conditioning. So when, when it's sold, it's got an attenuation left in it. It's got fermentable sugars left in it. You know, it's not filtered. It's not even attempted to carbonate. And most of our tanks are only at less than a bar. You know, just positive pressure in order to keep anything out of them. Um, and that beer is then filled into firkins and it's live. It's got a, a yeast count. It's got a residual sugar level. So as soon as you, that comes up to... 50 degrees the secondary fermentation the cask conditioning actually takes place you know and that process is cask conditioning it's a process so if somebody takes a, a so actually I have to brew a tank of beer specifically with the intention of putting it in firkins you would stop it early you crash cool it okay yeah, that's so what it's we a do. totally different product yeah. than yeah. and that is what something a, it's something a that a lot of breweries need to learn or a bottle yeah, yeah. yeah because what a lot of them yeah. do is let it run out and then consider priming it. I mean, there are some American brewers that are actually putting um, a mixture of fermenting wort into bright beer in order to try and create a, an artificial cask conditioned beer. And I've seen that happen, you know. How long, how long should the cask conditioning last? Usually, if you've got it at the right temperature, which is between 51 and 52, 53 degrees, then um, a cask conditioning will normally take one day per ABV. 
that's our that's our target. Okay. So we try to leave enough residual sugar so that at 51 degrees it would continue to ferment for roughly that length of time. Okay. Right. So, so how does this work with exports though? With exports, we're shipping the beer out um, in refrigerated containers, so it arrives here at 40. So the yeast is inert, um, it doesn't actually ferment at all until it's raised up to this 50 degree thing. <laughs> if it's left in a cold box at 42, it's not going to cast condition. And I've seen that happen here as well. I mean, you've got all this residual sugar left in it, yep. and it's not the right it, beer. And but also, when you, it won't lace. When you, when you put the glass back and you drop it back down again, it doesn't lace up oh. because there's no condition in the beer. There's no um, gases mixed right. into it, right? So it doesn't actually work. Right. And then you've got the other option of somebody bringing it out and putting it on a table in the middle of a busy bar at 70 degrees Fahrenheit and uh, the fermentation just runs out because fast 24 hours it'll be gone sure yeah so it's controlling that if people could just control that and adopt a thing called cask mark in the UK we have cask mark have you heard of this no what is that it's an accreditation system whereby any any bar that's selling cask conditioned beer has to get training it has to have uh, all the proper equipment in place and it has to get and it's checked randomly by Caskmark twice a year now it's a non-profit organization it's financed by the uk brewers association also the bars pay about 250 or 300 pounds a year to be part of the membership but they go onto an app a gps locator all the rest of it so people know how to get a Caskmark bar Right. right. And so, but they will drop in, like in our situation, the health department drops in just yep. on a random check to yes. see how they're maintaining their system. Yeah. And that's anybody that's trained in Castmark, they can transfer their training to another bar, right? So they're already Castmark approved. And then, so you have to have one cellarman that's trained by Castmark in that environment. And then the actual location will then pay the fee and they'll get registered as a Castmark outlet. Hmm. And that's something I'm trying to encourage over here. Have you ever heard of this, Jen? I've never heard of this. And We've I, only I heard think of it's camera, fascinating. So this is different than camera. Oh, Caskmark is a, is financed by the Brewing Association. It's not a consumer organization. But okay. it is, it's non-profit. And camera is, an, is a consumer organization yeah. that's try, mm. just trying to keep it alive. Keep it's this whole idea cask of cask beer. Yeah. 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 Caskmark um, is a little bit more flexible in the sense that it will allow cask breathers, for example, to maintain product quality um, and it's about product quality and presentation uh, we, we've had a guest recently who said they felt that in UK what's held back uh, the breweries is the focus on on preserving casks and not preserving the pubs what do you think about that I, I think, think that's one, I think that goes well. together I think you know like the people that um, if you're preserving cask beer you're preserving a cask bar because you, you can't drink cask beer at home you know, so in that sense, then it is. It does work from the, the, the pub point of view as well. Yeah, that's true. Mm. I mean, you you can't take a growler of at home successfully. It's not you know. Well, any, you can after you've been in that bar. Well, that let, night. let me rephrase. Just, I suppose, but it's really like this, this was an, an, an English gentleman's comment. He just felt that what happened that in the UK people were so focused on camera and preserving you know the 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 cast style of beer, but to this day he sees the. A lot of pubs going out of business, and he feels that maybe that the I don't, fault, sh- though, of, I don't uh, know. That's why I want I want, I want uh, Bruce to give us a clue into how he interacts with pubs and uh, what he thinks about the pub culture. <laughs> You've got still. me in a difficult situation here as well, you know, because I can't. Big not, picture, buddy. I could not criticize. It's a big picture, mate. You know, <laughs> Harry Potter. No, can he? Can he? Can he go against camera? Because like, there's too many people that love our beer that are members of camera. Um, but at the same time, I that think that guy doesn't sound ex- like a member of camera, though. 
I mean, that, he sounds like he's just. He sounds like an He sounds anti-cask, and who is? It sounds like an English expat who lives in the states. Right. No, yeah. I think, um, and there is, you know, there's been a, uh, an interest in in keg beer in the UK as well. So we are now manufacturing keg beers as well, just to keep up with this demand. Because suddenly, a bar that doesn't have the facility, doesn't have a cellarman, doesn't have a dedicated refrigeration system, wants to start getting a bit of craft beer in. And his option just now is to get imports from Europe or America. So we would be daft not to offer our products in keg as well. So we've started to do that. But cask is still 80% of our draft. Sure. So you're more loyal to that concept, obviously, but there's a little bit... It- I prefer cask too, yeah, personally. But then sure. in the summertime, uh, we do events like this beer here. I want to try, hopefully, I'll get your comments on. It's a ginger beer, right? So it's... Uh, been a bit of a phenomenon in, in, in Scotland, certainly, and it, there's two or three big brands of it, and it's uh, basically moving away. Again, it's unhopped entirely, so uh, it's made with just malt, lemon juice, and ginger, wow. fresh root so ginger. Is there, this is a local ginger, or this is just oh, ginger? Oh, it smells <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> well, we, we do know, you know, there are people in the States that are foraging things like traditional ginger roots and things. Oh. Well, it does the ginger just like your your the ginger is Asian, right? Definitely. But, I mean, everything else is Scottish. Kelp. The malt, you know. That's delicious. I can make cocktails with that. You know, too. this has also been really eye-opening. I mean, Bruce, this is uh, what we've been waiting for. We've talked about things like hops and and, well, and cask beers now for almost two also, years on the show. It's also coming full circle because now in the United States, I mean, we're so farm to table oriented, and you know. You're heralding back to tradition in Scotland, and that was all extremely farm to table back then. And we went through a like a, a long period of time where that was not the focus. And now it seems like, at least in the United States, I'm not sure how things are over there. People are getting back to that idea of indigenous, you know, indigenous ingredients and what's locally grown and fresh, and and bringing that home into our like artisan. Uh, products of all kinds, including beer. No, and, and, and uh, keep talking. <laughs> no, I, I love this guy, Bruce Williams. Most, most important, Williams <laughs> brothers. Why is it brothers? Allah, Do you Allah. have brothers? I've got one brother, Scott Williams. My brother and I um, are a team. I've been here for three months. Allo. Do you both brew? Allo. Yeah, we both brew. We do have three other brewers. We're brewing twice a day, you know, constantly. Yeah. Right. But um, Scott's interest over there is he's got two young kids, so, you know, I, I have to be around during the summer holidays and, you know, I can go away the rest of the time, basically. Yeah. And Bruce, do you have a sister too? And I have Melanie here. She's my sister. Yes, she's here, but she's not wanting to speak to you. Hi. <laughs> <She said> hi. <laughs> can you say don't? Don't. <laughs> don't. She didn't want to speak, but... Mm-hmm. You know, th- this has been one Jimmy of the- loves the accent. <laughs> I do. Well, what you were talking about, though, with the, with the, the, the farm-to-table thing, right? You st- sometimes there are compromises that we're making. Like, for example, I would like to use more org- organic product. But if I was to use more organic product, I couldn't get it locally, as locally as I can get, right. for example, the barley that we buy, which is right literally next door to the brewery. You know, right. it's all... And the heather that we pick is... A, you can see from the brewery, it's all local stuff. But uh, if I want to buy organic, I have to get it shipped up from England. Right. You know, so... Well, and, and farm-to-table isn't always nor- organic, so instead... It- all right, guys. That was a great little show we did uh, with Bruce Williams. So, Jen, uh, we're going to call it a night. Um, heard all those people in the background. It was a wild party. 
that night at Roberta's when we talked to Bruce Williams. Pretty what well. A, what people in the background? I don't know. You can but hear the a lot fact of noise. that his sister was sitting there quietly <laughs> listening to the. Interview. There was a lot of buzz in the. It was so cool. The reason we did that that is uh, Bruce Williams was in. He the was States. in town, and we couldn't fit him on that week's show because I think we were doing the cider show. And uh, so that was our chance to talk to him, and it was great. I'm so glad that we took advantage of that opportunity. He was and I great. I love that guy's accent. Well, his accent, but all the information coming through the accent was pretty, pretty incredible. Right. And now we're done. We're going to say I'd like to thank our sponsors at GreatBrewers.com have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks again to the Good Brew Seal, GoodBrewSeal.com. Thanks to Jen, Greg, Chris, Br, and Bruce for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee and Brie O'Connor, and guest coordinator, Brett Thompson. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. That I like to drink beer. This little song is more to the point. Roll out the barrel.